Welcome to Ikigai Stories. I'm Sam Yushio. The goal of this podcast is to showcase people who are living with intention, working hard to align actions with priorities, and ultimately to provide a platform of inspiration for those seeking to live a life rooted in purpose. Alex Mondau is a co-founder and community ambassador at The Collective, an innovative membership club in the heart of Seattle's South Lake Union area. There's a climbing wall, a tech-free hammock garden, spaces designed to both get work done and have fun. Music, art, experiences, and food all created to encourage people to be themselves while stewarding a range of opportunities to enable connection around shared passions. Alex describes the long winding road to launch the 15,000 square foot urban base camp with childhood friends and co-founders Tommy Trouse and Scott Barber. The idea was born in 2005 when they realized that there was an opportunity to expand on the third place concept that's typically reserved for coffee shops or bars. The collective opened in 2018 and Alex shares both his personal and professional insights along that 13-year journey, including reframing his definition of generosity after traveling to Nepal, the importance of sharing your ideas with as many people as possible, and how letting go of control cleared a path to bring his vision to life. Alex talks about the importance of community and collaboration as key tenants to create experiences that drive impact. Although not intentional, it definitely seems appropriate that the collective is physically located within blocks of innovative brands like Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple, and the world's largest nonprofit organization, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Alex and the collective team have captured the neighborhood's innovation and impact to deliver a well-executed case study on evolving a traditional business model like membership clubs to engage a new audience with a different perception of value. This episode was recorded in front of a live audience at the collective. There's a Q&A portion from the audience during the second half of our discussion. Please enjoy Ikigai Stories episode number 10 with Alex Mondau, co-founder and community ambassador at the collective. Alex, thank you for being here. Thanks for well, having thank me. you for having me here. <laughs> well, yeah, it's fun to play host and, and guest at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's start off with the collective. Can you just tar- start off by telling us about the collective? Yeah, well, um, thank you all for, for being here at the collective today. Uh, I, I really um, believe the collective, first and foremost, is a place to be yourself and uh, connect with others around shared passions. And so, um, we are uh, a social club uh, in its most simplest form um, and working to be a place where our members uh, that have decided to invest in um, coming here on a regular basis find connection through uh, events, experiences, food, drink, movement um, that brings them closer to uh, living the life that they're, that, you know, they're excited about living and um, recognizing that we're in the heart of South Lake Union, and um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of innovation and technology and and work that happens here. We we also uh, certainly have folks that bring their laptops, but first and foremost, it's a place to to be yourself. Um, the other thing I'd add, just because we're talking about places, that uh, I really want to recognize the the collective 
and all of us are our guests here of um, you know those that have been stewarding this land for a lot longer um, than any of our stories have been mo moving along and so um, you know the Duwamish tribe and the Suquamish tribes that have um, really been taking care of Puget Sound and, and this place that we all get to enjoy are um, are, are incredible hosts and, and uh, it's an opportunity to 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 run a business to to live a life here in in this place and um, I value that a lot. Uh, so let's talk about the actual place that uh, we're sitting in right now. So can you describe uh, for people that are listening just what what um, what is the collective in terms of the you know the the offering? Yeah. Well, I mean, so physically, uh, the collective is about fifteen thousand square feet of what I like to call, uh, you know, an adult playground, right? We have um, swings and a bar and a rock climbing wall. We've got a studio for um, creative endeavors. We have um, regular classes ranging from photography to yoga to um, ethical AI meetups and uh, regular live music on the calendar and all of that really is intended to bring people together. And, uh, and so, you know, in that 15,000 square feet, uh, we have uh, a team of about 35 that are working hard throughout the week to um, to facilitate that experience for, for our members and, and their guests. Um, so circles, let's talk about circles and kind of down at the membership level experience. So can you describe um, what are the circles and how did you identify how did you and the team identify those circles as the right circles? Yeah, well, so the, the idea of, um, you know, having a, having a place where you come and connect with others uh, around shared passions means it's really helpful to have some places to start <laughs> uh, those conversations. And so the idea of circles is that um, we have small groups uh, of members that within the larger uh, club or larger membership um, are saying, I'm really passionate about social impact, or I'm really passionate about arts, uh, music, playing outside, food and drink, and um, technology, family, learning are kind of those other circles that, we, that we've kind of structured our programming calendar around. And, and really that means that through those um, basically uh, you know, structures we can say, hey, if you'd like to bring forward an idea for an event or an experience, uh, there might be some other people that we can immediately connect you with that share that passion that could help promote it, uh, maybe add some perspective that would improve the experience, um, maybe turn your one-time one um, idea into a series that can be more collaborative and we can build community around. And so circles are just a simple way of saying, you know, you're invited to one, join, join that circle, and, and then two, through that um, lens of looking at your passion, um, start to identify others that, that you can play with, frankly. Uh, how about the design? So for, for the people who are listening, they can't see what we're looking out at, but it's a very uh, creative, unique environment. Can you describe um, what three people are sitting on, on in front of us <laughs> and what's behind us and yeah. the bouldering wall, just the thought process that went behind creating this yeah. incredible place? Well, uh, you know, this incredible place for me starts with 
um, you know, the Salish Sea, our, our, our place in, in being kind of connected to salt water and in between two incredible mountain ranges. And so um, the design, uh, you know, intention behind the collective is bringing that experience of place into the urban, in, into the urban experience and landscape. And uh, we have two sides of our space. One is called High Tide, and that is uh, really all designed around our relationship with salt water. So you'll see um, design elements like the Strait Awana Fuca depth chart on the floor, um, and a lot of the artist inspiration. We worked with 11 different artists in, in the community to design the space. Um, their prompt was like, how does city meet water meets mountains? And you'll see that showing up in the you know, beautiful woodburn ping pong table that we have um, designed by a fr friend, Gretchen Leggett, and, um, and some of the other artwork that's, that's kind of around that space. This side, we are sitting in Alpenglow, and Alpenglow is, um, you know, kind of the term for when you look to the east at sunset and you have that opportunity to see that pink hue, um, it's a reflection of the sunset off the mountains. Uh, it's just a beautiful time of night and, uh, and, a, and you know, an experience that you get when you're kind of paying attention to your surroundings. And, uh, and so Alpenglow is all designed, you know, kind of celebrating mountains and, and those experiences. So uh, some of us are sitting near a campfire, uh, you know, fireplace that has this kind of abstract yurt chandelier that Blackmouth Design built for us. Uh, and then we're kind of sitting in the middle of our hammock garden. And a hammock garden uh, in our world means uh, these kind of wild ne hanging nest chairs where you can tuck away to yourself or spin them around in a little circle and have a chat, as some people are testing out now. Um, and then some huge cargo nets that are sitting behind us that are, are just a really nice place to change the, I mean, literally change the ground you're having your conversation on, right? If once you're laying in a, in a cargo net, you can't, you can't dig in to maybe the same old position you might have been holding. Uh, so it's a nice place to have a team meeting or take a nap, uh, which, you know, we might be one of the few places in the city where we're saying, yeah, you can take a nap here. Uh, we've also got our locker rooms and, and um, uh, our studio space where a lot of different groups get together to uh, create new ideas. Uh, cool. So the um, base camp versus clubhouse. Go ahead and go ahead and grab a drink. <laughs> um, so on the website, you intentionally say words matter, or there's something to that effect. Yeah. Uh, so can you can you just describe the difference between those two and how collective personifies Basecamp? Yeah, I think you, you know we recognize that we're we're a social club, right? The the business model is membership, uh, and there's a lot of uh, history to. Uh, private clubs and and um, and really breadth of, of what those meant for those people that were part of them and those people that weren't part of them and and historically sometimes uh, private clubs and and the clubhouse was designed to really uh, clearly define who was in and who was out and who was invited and who was not and we really wanted to take you know as intentional a step away from that mentality as possible uh, a base camp. Uh, you know, definitely ties into our love of adventure. Uh, certainly, the um, the friends of mine that you know dreamed up this idea with me are um, you know folks that enjoy a good trip into the mountains. And a base camp is where you kind of gather your resources, uh, take stock of what's going on, look at the the landscape, and and then you know launch on your new endeavor with. And it's also a place you come back to and. You know, recall how that experience went, and um, eat and drink and be merry, and I think all those things are part of um, what we want to host here. So, an urban base camp is is definitely acknowledging one. We're definitely in the city, 
Um, but uh, we are trying to you know retain that sense of adventure. So a um, little bit of a shift gears here. So the friends in the process of creating the collective, can you start to paint the picture on what that process looked like to get to today? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, first off, it, it definitely, you know, the collective Seattle, just in its name, is intended to recognize that it is all about community and, and about, um, you know, those folks that uh, are participating in it. It's not about any one person. And so, uh, you know, the first thing I'd say about how we got here is I'm not alone. <laughs> With a lot of help, a lot of collaboration, a lot of shared ideas. And um, and so two of my best friends from growing up, uh, we all met in first grade in Olympia where, where we... Uh, um, actually played on a like a basketball team together um, Scott Barber and Tommy Trouss uh, and I um, Scott moved to Seattle after uh, high school to go to the University of Washington and Tommy went to school in New York and I went to school in LA and when Tommy and I moved to Seattle you know we started talking about what's this experience of living in this big city and um, Tommy worked in the private club world um, and I uh, worked in the real estate world but I was commuting out of the city and so both Tommy and I had the experience of saying, wow, how, if we don't work in the city, how do we meet people that have similar passions to us if uh, it's not basically at a bar? I mean, we were 23 and we were commuting or going to work settings that were not uh, filled with our peers. And so how do you build community if there's no third place that is uh, inviting you in or relevant to you. And, and you know, the traditional private club landscape was not where I was finding my um, people. Coworking wasn't really a thing. This was 2005. And so we started just talking about, you know, what, what would it look like to have a place where you could go connect with your friends and meet new ones uh, during the day. And that's how we kind of uh, started moving towards this third third place idea, which is not a new idea by any means, and I wouldn't try to claim that, but it's definitely um, you know something that we said, hey, there is a lack of this in the city, uh, and and uh, you know in a city where it's not always the perfect temperature to be outside, um, we we probably should have an inside space that <laughs> that acts as that, and then and then you get into how do you pay for that inside space and manage it as a business so that um, it can have some sustainability and some you know ongoing presence and not um, just a pop-up uh, and so that's that's how we moved to this place of hey we're going to create and design a membership space uh, in the city uh, for people again not necessarily taking the traditional structure of exclusivity and you've made it and you're above but more you're in the mix and you know our location is below a bus stop uh, on you know one of the highly trafficked you know bike commuting lanes into the city and that was what we were most excited about this location. Mm. Uh, so back in 2005, was there, if, when you reflect back on that, those conversations, um, was there a moment? Was there a, like a, like the eureka moment <laughs> where the three of you are sitting around or was it kind of a steady build? Um, definitely a steady build. And I, and I would say, you know, 2005 is when we first experienced the need of um, maybe what we are uh, trying to provide the solution to now, mm -hmm. but it was really not until 2007, um, Tommy and I uh, took a trip to Asia uh, and just spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia and Nepal and got to see how cultures outside of the Western United States um, spent a lot of time interacting with each other and know each other through community and conversation. 
most of the time outside of vehicles uh, that um, you know builds relationships and that was when we came back from that trip I think that's when it was like wow we need to find a way to build relationship here at home that has the depth and breadth of, of the communities that we saw and got to interact with while we were uh, traveling and specifically for me that that place that I experienced that was Nepal yeah. Um, so yeah it was 2007 really when it was like wow we got to try to do this I, I started working at um, my Uncle Mick's restaurant Agua Verde Cafe over in the University District and um, Tommy went back into working in private clubs and, and Scott was working in commercial real estate but we were all you know, excited to get together over an IPA and talk about what might this look like? And that's when we started scheming on, you know, is it a restaurant? Is it a restaurant that becomes something else? Is it uh, a storefront that we turn into something so we don't have to pay rent? But uh, in 2009, I decided to go to business school and I went to Bainbridge Graduate Institute, which is now part of the Presidio um, uh, Graduate School in um, in San Francisco. and. Um, my school is out on Bainbridge Island, and uh, I took kind of this idea that we'd been brewing uh, with me as the idea of why I wanted to go get an MBA and why I wanted to be uh, acquiring this skill set and investing this time and energy and money in, in you know, getting that education. So uh, at that school experience, I got to learn a lot more about what different people than me were looking for in community, and we... Um, had the opportunity to do an entrepreneurship course where we got to take an idea from like, hey, here's your idea. Let's test it a lot uh, against like market size and market access to market and operations and efficiencies and margins and, you know, social impacts, environmental impacts of what does it mean to be in business and uh, I got to work with some amazing classmates on this idea we um, really you know got to share it over and over and it was when I graduated that uh, I thought oh man we're gonna go bring this out into the world and you know sign a lease like we're gonna launch this thing and that was 2012 and it's you know it's 2019 now and we've been open for a year so you get a <laughs> sense of how long it took <laughs> um, from you know where I thought we were ready to go uh, you know which literally seven years ago to you know the time that we actually um, had the opportunity to put together the right partners which was you know which was basically five years of not anything <laughs> yeah. besides a lot of talking to people about our idea so before you go there because I obviously want to want to go there I want I want to go back to Nepal. So this experience in Nepal, can you uh, paint some color on just what w what that experience was like and maybe how that experience is embodied in what we're sitting in here today or what where you're moving toward with the collective? Yeah, I I mean the simplest uh, word I can come up with for my experience in Nepal Nepal was generosity and and in that I met or what I experienced was that everyone I met in Nepal was generous and I, I had historically thought that generosity was based on um, wealth and your ability to give it away and uh, you know that's maybe a traditional structure that we've experienced here in the West and um, I mean people are you know generous of perspective of time of energy um, of tea of uh, you know, just 
sharing their ideas with you in Nepal that I, that's where I was, you know, and I felt and had that experience of realizing, wow, I thought that maybe I could be generous later in life when I had like made it. And um, turns out I could be generous then when I, you know, was basically backpacking with, you know, a few hundred bucks in my pocket. And that was just by bringing my energy to working with some kids um, that uh, had been kind of displaced by the, um, kind of ongoing civil war that had been happening in, in Nepal kind of leading into 2006, 2007. And so uh, I just I just kind of fell in love with the people and, and, and the place. And then uh, that, that simple idea of generosity is kind of what I brought back from it in the most part. Is there a, a singular experience that sticks out when you reflect on that time in Nepal? Um, I mean, there's, there's a moment that I, I guess where I had decided Tommy and I had decided to go backpacking, and um, and then a lot of things in our logistics got stuck. Um, visas into Tibet weren't working out, um, and this trekking company we had worked with said, you know, hey, you know, 10% of your uh, fee uh, for trekking will go to support these children. And we were like, okay, cool, but like we'll pay it, but let's we want to just go trekking. So great, like we're leaving tomorrow. Um, and so while we were stuck, uh, we you know, kind of saw all the sites you could see and we're waiting and we're waiting and my passport was stuck in the Chinese embassy for two weeks while they closed for a holiday and couldn't leave town. I'm like, what am I going to do? Weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but what, what I went back to that trekking company and said, Hey, that place that you said that some of my money went, does it really exist? Like, is it, is it a thing? And they said, absolutely. Do you want to go see it? I said, yeah. And they walked me down. We walked out the door from that conversation to the children's home, met these kids, 10 kids that were just um, basically getting home from their school day and um, just kind of had a fun afternoon playing with some kids and thought like, wow, that was pretty cool. I got to get a little bit more engaged with the community here. But I met these Australian women that had been working there daily for the last six weeks and they were like, hey, this is really cool, but it's also really hard. Like." The organizational structure of this place is is not really what it could be. Uh, these kids are, um, you know, getting taken care of, but you know, there's not really a long-term plan here. Um, we're going to have this meeting tomorrow. Do you want to come? You seemed like you really like the kids. I said, okay, yeah. You know, I have nothing on the calendar. Right? I'm passport stuck in um, the Chinese embassy, and I show up at this meeting, and it's it's all these wonderful Nepali people that have been putting effort into helping these kids. But um, they also were stretched super thin. And, and, and that, you know, that generosity of spirit, when it came down to dollars and cents, had a lot of folks overextended. And so there was a moment where everyone in the room was asked, well, hey, I think we can run this organization if everybody could give $8 a month. Eight, $8 a month was like, gosh, it might have been like uh, 1,000 rupees. Um, I'm, my, uh, currency exchange might be a little off. It was a decade plus ago, but yeah. basically, you know, some people were like, no, I can't do it. You know, like that's too much. I, I got a family. I have my own kids. Uh, my business is stressed or I, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. I, I, and, I, and I was sitting there, I was like $8. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I have this invitation to be generous. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I raised my hand. I was like, yeah, I can, you know, I can do that. And this, so this is 2007 and you know, I was in Nepal uh, a year and a half ago, or I guess close to two years ago, right before we opened the collective and, um, you know, same kids, same, you know, 10 years later, 
Wow. Now, you know, their English is super strong. They're super into soccer. Their knowledge of pop culture and music is far beyond mine. They're, um, you know, learning to be baristas and engineers and nurses. And wow. um, that, I mean, for me, that, that moment of raising my hand being like, yeah, I can, I can do that yeah. um, was what that generosity, you know, kind of like lesson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is that what took you back last year? Uh, yes, in part. Kids? So, so my, yeah, uh, I mean, long term, I built uh, a couple of really important relationships to me while I was in Nepal, and and um, certainly the kids and and um, and that community is one. The other, uh, my friend Angdawa, um, who um, I got to do some climbing with, both here in, in the Northwest and also in Alaska and and in Nepal. He, uh, you know, he has kids that I got to know and. Um, that my family and friends had been helping support um, and so it was a chance to see them and, and my parents had been super supportive uh, and you know engaged with this part of my life that was on the other side of the world that they were like hey we're retired and still like hiking now's a pretty good window to go right. check this place out um, Nepal is not the most comfortable place to travel uh, you will inevitably, you know, think you are going to die in a car accident at some point. You <laughs> probably will get food poisoning, but you'll also, you know, be blown away by how good food can be when it's the same dish 10 days in a row. But like dalbat is rice and lentils and, you know, kind of pickled cabbage spice. And you'll be blown away by how different it can be. Mm -hmm. Place to place. Lunch and dinner can be two different meals, the same, same dish, right? You just yeah. order them like, I'm going to have the dalbat. 20 days in a row, you're still going to have a different meal. It's yeah. amazing. So yeah. anyways, that, um, that was what brought me back, right? The people, the food, the experience, the friends. And um, my girlfriend uh, at the time was excited to see this place. That was a conversation around Nepal is kind of what had um, been one of our earliest conversations with each other. And, and so um, it was an opportunity to go bring her. Uh, my parents came. We got to stay with some friends of um, parents of friends of mine, and so it was a combination. Yeah, yeah. And that was bef that was before the collective. Launch. Yeah, that was after we had finished, uh, you know, all the negotiations and yeah. the, and the design and construction was underway. But before we really went into launch mode, and it became a full time um, job. Okay. So it was kind of the last, uh, you know, adventure before. Uh, okay. Okay. Things are gonna get real. You're gonna Forget be real. in yeah. in Seattle in this one place quite a bit yeah. <laughs> for yeah. the next couple of years, and yeah. so it's like, okay, uh, let's go. You know, get one of those extended adventures. Cool. Okay. Uh, so 2012. So yeah. I, well, I don't know if 2012 is the 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 mark, but wherever the mark is, where the three of you, you know, put your hands in the middle and raw, we're gonna go for it. Um, was that 2012? Like you got serious about it? Yeah. So yeah. from that point until whenever it became real, <laughs> let's talk about that. Yeah. That, okay. uh, the dark phase. Of, oh man. And so, or the build, the learning phase, yeah, the learning, the yeah. building phase. And, and, and I wouldn't say dark. I'm, I, and I, what am I doing saying that? This is an <laughs> Ikigai guy stories podcast. No, that's well, where okay. that's rich. That's rich with lessons. And yes. 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 Learning and growth. Um, yes. I mean the, the simplest way of, of, of explaining it would be, we just got our ass kicked by the Seattle real estate market. I mean, just frankly, yeah. like this, this is a city that is moving really fast. 
we had not been, um, you know, physical, you know, hospitality owners. We had not owned something before. And so the first time you sign a lease with any new idea or venture, uh, is going to be more challenging and, and, um, you know, there's a risk profile associated with that for the landlord and for, and for the business owner that, um, you know, we just, we just weren't prepared to take, frankly, there was, um, some opportunities with some really, uh, incredible, uh, forward thinking, um, folks that said, yeah, like I, we're into this, we're willing to invest in this. Um, let's find the right building or, or folks that said, Hey, I think this is the right building building. We're, we're, we're down to have you guys in it. Let's figure it out. Um, but when it got to construction costs, it would start getting really complicated around timelines and, you know, windows of opportunity for some of this stuff and putting a commercial kitchen in, um, you know, like old brick buildings, um, has its own unique, uh, conversation to have with the city permitting department that we, uh, ran into multiple times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, th- and that really, uh, put us in a place where we were like, okay, we're really going to have to be finding the right partners in the right place to, to do this. And, and we hadn't found it yet. So that five years was, you know, that was ongoing, but I mean, I I was having, I think some of the best learning experiences in my life, working with other classmates that, um, I said yes to when, when they were generous enough to invite me to work on their dream projects. Um, so I worked on, uh, two other companies that were uh, founded and launched by, by classmates of mine. Mm. Um, community Source Capital was a community lending platform for small businesses. Zero interest direct lending between uh, customers, friends, and family of, of small bricks and mortar businesses and, and Starvation Alley, uh, Cranberry Farms, which was um, an experience of you know going from uh, bringing a, what is looked at as a commodity fruit uh, to a, you know, unique product on the, you know, on the store shelves. And um, so I got to work with uh, a lot of different uh, stakeholders and, you know, business landscapes during that time. Uh, that Those were my day jobs. I had two day jobs. And then we still had the, the collective as this thing that we were, you know, trying to find its right place in the world. And, um, and so, you know, it wasn't dark, it was busy. Uh, it wasn't balanced though. I mean, it was, it was, there was a lot of pressure to, you know, figure out what would be the, like, thing that had the sustainability to you know keep going and and you know paying for life in seattle which is you know its own unique place to do that right, in right. yeah uh so over that five-year time frame were there moments where it was close almost at the finish line or and if there were how many of those were there and just can you describe that experience because one yeah. of the one of the key i think when someone walks into a space like this they look around and they're like wow this is amazing and they they don't see or understand all the hard work and all the late nights and all the challenges and the doors that get closed along that journey. And so to the degree that you can paint that picture on the fits and starts over that five year time frame, I think that would be uh, where I'm going with this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's, there's some really distinct moments of feeling like wow, we might have fi- found the right building. Um, or we found someone uh, who has more resources than we do that has a network that might, you know, bring in even more resources. And wow, could this be the right, the right spot? And then, and then when those, um, it never felt like it was firmly in our grasp, but at least when that kind of like window of 
maybe all these things are going to come together would fall apart. There was, I mean, there's definitely disappointments in there. Um, throughout it, I think one of the things we learned was um, share your idea. Like it, keeping your idea a secret is you're 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 never really going to uh, find the other stakeholders that are going to help you get where you, where you need to go. And I mean, unless you're doing something like really really unique, uh, you're probably not going to do it alone. And and so you know we just we just told everybody what we wanted to do, and and that uh, in the end is what kind of brought us to to this building and this place in in South Lake Union, and that um, you know someone had heard about what we were working on and said, you know, do you guys still have that crazy club idea? Uh, I, I want I want to hear about it, and that that you know was an outcome from I think patience and persistence and. You know, not being shy about saying, "Hey, this is what we want to do." You know, if anyone's interested in playing, right, right, yeah. I mean, the landscape of just this this five block radius that from here, from 2012, I mean, maybe even in, in one year, right? In one year's time, it's transformed significantly. So, was the vision always to be? in this location or was it location agnostic or we absolutely knew we wanted to be in a place where people um walked and biked um like it, it, it we didn't think we could be outside the city center we we wanted to be in the urban in the urban core so yeah. you know a um you know strip mall outside of town uh, where real estate might have been cheaper or, or you could take over an old restaurant or something was not what we were looking for. We wanted to be kind of in, in the heart of the action. I think there's a lot of neighborhoods in Seattle that have that dynamic, and um, we weren't necessarily uh, saying we want to be in South Lake Union. Um, our particular street corner <laughs> that we're, we're sitting on right now, we're, we're at um, you know, Dexter and uh, Republican, and I'm watching you know the however many billion dollar tunnel off ramp come out um of d under the city uh there's a lot of there's a lot of action down here right um you know when we signed the lease when we when we committed to this space um 100 percent of the buildings that you can see from inside our space were not open Wow. <laughs> so a year ago, uh, I mean, this would have been, you know, two, two? and a half years ago. Okay. But, um, okay. you know, Modera Apartments is across the street. Um, you know, they were they were open by the time we were open. Um, but, you know, UW Medicine, uh, the, the other apartments across the street, the what is now going to be Apple's footprint in Seattle, what is now Facebook's footprint in Seattle, what will become something else that's a construction office and a construction. I mean, it, it, you know, this, this whole area is just totally transformed, even from the time that we first came down here to look around right. with this idea in mind. And, and so, you know, it's, it wasn't a like, oh, we need to be next to that cool spot. It was like, okay, we're within a couple blocks of where there's a lot of stuff going on. Can we make this a place? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Seattle Freeze. So let's talk about the Seattle freeze. Uh, myth or legend, or uh, fact or fiction? And how do you tackle, well, let's say fact or fiction, because if you say it's fiction, then we don't have to move to the second question. Um, I think that 
your experience is what you make of it. So you can decide your attitude and approach to the landscape that you see. And, um, you know, is Seattle a harder place to make new friends than other cities? Yes. Is a Seattle a easier place to make new friends than other cities? Yes. I mean, there, I think we are in the spectrum of, you know, modern life in, in America and, um, we might be uh, more impacted by the fact that the weather brings us inside more often and we might be more impacted by um, a little bit of the, um, you know, kind of landscape of our city and that neighborhoods tend to drive uh, the landscape a little bit more than say, hey, there's a central meeting place that everybody passes through and you get to mix people up all the time, you mm -hmm. know, um, mm -hmm. you know, just by way of the water. Uh, there's, there's, there's separation that I think lets you say, oh, well, I know enough people in Ballard. I don't need to go meet new people in Georgetown. But what if that's like, what if that's your person to start the new thing with, you know? And so right. we, I mean, we look at the Seattle freeze as um, something that a lot of our community experiences. And so it's something that we should, um, if our goal is to build relationships and build community, that we should recognize as part of people's experience and then uh, be very, you know, specific in, in how we address that. Um, and we do that, I think, through our programming and our experiences and, and our invitation to bring people in. So Collective's been open a year, 13, 14 months? Right? Yeah, we opened last May. So, you know, we're sitting okay. mid-August right now, um, just over a year in. Okay. Um, and roughly membership-wise, how many are you looking at, uh, if you can share that? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're in between 1,400 and 1,500 members right now. Okay. And over the course of the last 15 months or so, and, and you think about the different events or experiences um, that really executed on the, the vision and the mission of the collective, are, are there any that stick out or come to mind? Oh, man, we've had... I mean, five to 10 events a week since the time we opened. And um, those have been pretty wide ranging in variety, both in size and focus and purpose. Um, I think there's a couple, you know, examples of events that I, I think are just outstanding um, models of how you build relationship and those, those that are, um, I think, pairing maybe an invitation to try something new with um, something that's comforting. I, I think of um, the meditation and tea tasting uh, as a as a, a morning where uh, I met someone new that now I know quite well, and so that experience of six people is a you know super memorable event for me. Um, at the same time, like our New Year's party was super, super fun. And, you know, it was 300 people. And uh, I, I know there's folks that didn't know each other before that now have like whole on, you know, social networks, landscapes, businesses, you know, dating lives together because of that, that night. And so those, you know, that the big and the small, um, I think the, you know, those, that, those things where we created things together were also really fun. There's some... Um, you know, there's a uh, couple canvases floating around in our office right now that are paintings that were, you know, kind of collaborative creations through gatherings. And I think those are um, those are 
things that stand out for me because people were not just uh, being entertained, but they were participating in the experience in a, in a pretty tangible way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about the future? What's the future look like for the collective? Oh man, I mean, for for where we're sitting now, um, I think the the you know the future is whatever you know those folks that are sitting in the room uh, want it to be. You know, we're, we really uh, believe that we're at a stage now with the uh, the community and, and and our and our team's ability to facilitate that um, we should be really hosting those experiences and 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 facilitating that direction that our that our members want to, want to take it in. Uh, you know, you always have to start with something on the board, uh, you know, put some things on the calendar so people show up and see what's possible. Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, where we'd like to be is, uh, you know, this community has room to grow in this space. Um, you know, you can always get a seat for lunch and, and you know, we'll work to make that um, continuously true. And the, um, you know, beyond that, I think, you know, I recognize that South Lake Union is not the only place where, uh, people might have a need and an interest for a third space and, and, and for building connection. And, um, you know, we know that it, in a city like Seattle, um, you know, some neighborhoods are places where people go all the time and some neighborhoods are not relevant to folks' lives. And so there's a whole other, you know, landscape to, to play with. Yep, yep. Uh, okay, so now let's, let's shift back, or the bigger shift to 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 your journey um so you touched on a little bit you hit a couple touch points along the way um but can you just start from the beginning um, <laughs> okay yeah um uh, so I, I grew up in in olympia um on uh steamboat island road which is kind of like 20 miles outside of olympia and um so I, I had I had the opportunity to grow up next to um, three of my cousins, and um, you know salt water on one side of the houses and uh, big forest um, you know on the other side. And so uh, all of our uh, experience of growing up was very kind of free range in the sense that you know it's like hopefully you could hear the dinner bell to make it back uh, for dinner before you know dark and and. Um, uh, all my parents and, and my aunt and uncle are in public education, and so I really had, uh, and I and I'm super privileged and recognize that to to have had a sense of just like deep well well being um, growing up, and um, that uh, surrounded by love and uh, places to find adventure and camaraderie to go on those adventures, and. Um, so I recognize, I think, about me that I'm always seeking to return to that level of experience. And, and then I, I know that part of my personality is to try to share that with people. So I love, I'm the, the classic over-inviter. You know, it's like, oh, like, do you want to come to dinner? Yeah, can I bring three, three friends? Because <laughs> I think they're going to really enjoy it. Uh, and so I, I, I'm always about kind of bringing people together, mm -hmm. seeing the, then seeing what happens. Yeah, yeah. So that was early days. So heavily yeah, influenced yeah. by family, education, outdoors. Um, then what? Ooh, um, let's see. I uh, we we go to school next, right? I guess. <laughs> uh, some some do. I, I, some I, so do. I went. I, I went to school, and um, uh, I, it turns out I was I was pretty good at 
at school and um, I, I enjoyed sports and um, uh, I learned a lot and I and I I ended up going to 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 college in LA and um, really got a taste for what big cities are like and um, kind of blew me away the diversity of people that you meet from all over the world the different experiences and ideas their passions all things that were totally new to me where um, you know where I had grown up it was kind of like well you're into like playing outside and trees and salt water and like sports right and it's like yeah okay that's what we're all up to so to go to a city where like you could be up to anything and into anything um, and and you know being totally overwhelmed by the fact that you know arts and culture were a thing in LA that you know I was like clueless about um, but I also recognize that wow LA is not my place there's no water um, or certainly no water that's you know kind of occurring of its own <laughs> accord is you know most it's piped in so I, I I knew as soon as I finished school I needed to come back um, but the Wait, thing that the, I, the ocean the ocean doesn't count uh, so I was East LA like okay. Claremont okay. is uh, it, it's a beautiful beautiful place but it is 60 miles which is like you know three days from the ocean okay. <laughs> in LA traffic gotcha. um, so, so yeah, so I, I, uh, I, I studied in school, I studied um, science, technology, and society, and this history and philosophy of kind of like what tools we create for ourselves and what impacts they have on us. And so I was super fascinated with how we, uh, you know, go after the things we want and then, w you know, what impacts <laughs> the tools that we make to do that have on us, you know, both, uh, you know, intentional and unintentional. Um, and and that, that brought me back into... Uh, you know, Seattle working in um, selling built green houses, uh, kind of rolling right into the, the housing um, bust and uh, learned a lot about how people make business decisions in a, in a really rough business environment and um, how, um, you know, my values were going to be uh, a significant piece of my decision tree on, on, on how I found my spot within, within those, you know, uh, opportunities and, and, and challenges. And so I, I kind of, you know, realized, okay, I, I you know, I, I really am into, um, more the people experience and, and then, um, just the kind of material, um, or, or wealth accumulation, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so those two stops that you made along the way before the collective where you're working with, um, classmates mm -hmm. who were working on their, their passion business. Can you, can you talk about what, maybe expand on what both of those were and, and if they influence what is happening here? Yeah. Um, so community source capital was designed to be uh, a, really a way to, you know, push the edge of our current uh, financial uh, agreement that we have with each other, which is that um, the way that uh, we use money is to get more money and not necessarily get um, uh, other things. So we we tried to build a, a system that um, let like love and generosity be the uh, the value that you got for sharing your money. Like you might share your bike, and I and I think of it like, you know, I, I want you to have fun riding my bike, Sam, and if it gets a flat tire. Um, I'm not gonna like charge you for it. If you, you know, I, I, I just, you know, if you can get me the bike back, great, but you know, don't worry about it. If you can't, um, if you're, I lent it to you as a friend and if you can't 
return it, it's okay. And, and so we built a model that was basically taking some of that um, uh, downside risk of um, asking for generosity and, or, and, and also removing that um, financial motivation for sharing uh, out and saw if people were willing to still like put money towards making things they wanted to see happen happen mm. and, it, and it worked and, and, it, and it was uh, super fun to, to, to see and, and participate in. It taught me a lot about um, just financial models that do, do and don't work. I, I was on the kind of business development side. I worked with deal structures and um, evaluated capital projects for you know hundreds of businesses and uh, we did um, a ton of loans in the Seattle area and, and some in Portland and a few farther afield before we realized, wow, um, there are really big players coming out of the Bay Area with um, uh, financial backing that had like m multiple more zeros than we did that w made uh, growing outside of the distance which I could drive to very <laughs> challenging for yep. our business model and so it didn't end up being something that could could scale and um, so we we had grown this through angel investment and um, we uh, had to recognize that you know it was a it was a business that wasn't going to continue to be a business even if the I think the principles and the values uh, of pushing that edge of the financial model or something that we we all still think have tons of opportunity and and range but um, that particular structure wasn't going to be the one to, you know, flip it all. And but, but the anchor tenant in that model is community, right? I mean, is it our yeah, trust? Yeah, it's, no, yeah, it's, no, it's, uh, it's trust. It's trust. Yeah, I think, and that's and that's where, you know, proximity, uh, relationship building is is I think again where where it came back to me. Like that's what I was finding the most enjoyment in was seeing uh, people help each other out and mm -hmm. and seeing what ideas come from people you know being vulnerable and saying hey i need some help on this and and um and seeing who shows up for to you know supply that help yeah. and then what relationships are built from that uh i think all those things come into the experience here at the collective yeah um the other thing that you know the starvation alley and uh, cranberries uh we uh you know we we really set out to um create a new relationship uh, with cranberries for people that maybe had thought of it as a seasonal thing and um, and explore what it looks like to enjoy cranberries maybe without sugar uh, and uh, I learned a lot about um, inventory businesses and and um, and and financial modeling and financial management and uh, you know debt you know financing and this this whole adventure in you know what it is to have to you know really forecast out with some certainty what's going to happen six eight ten twelve months from now mm -hmm. especially in the you know agricultural business it's you know it's so impacted by things that are outside of your control which is makes that business super hard to right. um to, to to grow within <laughs> yeah. yeah uh okay so i've got one more question yeah. for you and then i'll open it up uh to the audience for questions so the, the last question is um you know, those are very, very, very varied experiences along the way. And and somewhere out there, maybe in the audience or listening, someone's got this inkling that you had with your two friends back in 2005. Um, we're sitting in this space today. Uh, so we can tangibly see the representation of that 
you know, that, that how that vision came to life. Yeah. Um, but there were clearly a lot of steps on the road. So for somebody that's, um, or maybe even if you were talking to yourself, if you're talking to 2005 Alex, uh, who just came out of you know the IPA session with with the two buddies? Like, what what type of guidance would you provide for what they're facing, and what kind of mindset should they um, embody as they go off on this journey? Uh, yeah, wow, that's a that's a <laughs> that's a good question. I think that the um, you know the first the first thing that I would relay would, would be. Um, pay attention to staying in, in, in balance and, you know, kind of right relationship with yourself and, you, and your immediate uh, loved ones because you're going to, um, you know, rely on their love and support uh, along whatever journey you're on. Uh, and if it's going to be an entrepreneurial one, maybe especially so. Uh, and, and that was super true for me um, that when I found myself out of balance um life was just less fun and 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 you know less fun for me less fun for those around me that had to deal with me um kind of learning that lesson uh my um you know kind of business advice would be uh really have a, a deep discussion with yourself and uh those around you that you think you might play with around what your like risk tolerance landscape looks like um what your um, you know, tolerances for low probability, high consequence uh, risk, and and what your tolerances for high probability, low consequence um, risk looks like. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's there's one level of going through something, being like, it's it's not, it's probably not going to happen, but like a rock could fall on my head, and that would really suck. But it's probably not going to happen, right? But that's that's something where you're like, okay, is that just part of being alive you got to realize that hey like something out of the blue could go wrong and okay I've got to be comfortable with that but like as that <laughs> increases in likelihood through either repeat activity or um, you know more and more risk mm -hmm. in that direction where's your line uh, and then on the on the flip side you know hey if you're afraid to like if getting told no is going to shatter your like world then like don't don't dive into entrepreneurship because you know you're going to get told no a ton and so uh you know if it feels risky to share an idea and that's and then you know get told no and then still have to like go share the idea again the same idea because it's like five minutes later um then you know know your line there too and 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 so that you can have a similar risk landscape and pretty honest conversations with the people that you're going to going to play with and so you know the way that we you know that scott tommy and i got to a place where the collective could become a real thing was you know super honest conversations with each other around you know what do i what do i absolutely not you know need to see as part of this um idea for 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 me to for me to play and then what are things that uh you know i can totally let go of if it's the right opportunity and so you know w what we all agreed was hey w we're not willing to do this as a virtual thing we're not we're not going to start um popping up at, at different locations with a email list and like we like it's about a, it's about a physical place we're not interested in 
um, in, you know, kind of starting at first virtually. Uh, and then the other thing that we really, you know, realized is like, we're not, we're not interested in running a restaurant. Like the, restaurants are awesome businesses and you got to be really good at running your restaurant um, to, to have it support, you know, one business owner, let alone three. So we, um, we also realized like none of us were really interested in taking out a huge amount of debt to launch. And so some of the traditional models of how you open a physical space were just not going to be the ones that worked for us. The thing that we found ourselves totally willing to let go of was we don't need to own this business. Um, we can find the right partners to bring this business to life and get this community uh, engaged with each other. And that will be incredibly rewarding mm -hmm. without being tied to, I need to be control of, in control of all of it. And so letting go of control turned out to be the way that, you know, we actually got to generate this like momentum and direction that, that now, now we get to, you know, play with and, 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 and build from. But it, if we had been, you know, firmly like, you know, unless it's mine, I'm not playing, we would have stayed stuck, you yeah. know? And that, that was a huge conversation for us to step through. But as we look at it now, it's like, yeah, we needed tons of help. Yeah. <laughs> and it's way more fun working with resources and experience that is far beyond your own um, than it is to try to, you know, just act like the expert in something that is just, it's not a business that's designed around anyone being in charge or, or an expert. And so we just recognize like, wow, this has to be turned inside out. It has to be about bringing in more voices rather than having it be about, you know, one you know idea all the way through so can can you just um extend on what that what that looks like like just at a i mean at, at its core uh, it or, means an invitation the actual, sorry yeah. uh, let me better define that question so who um the the you had to let go of control mm -hmm. can you just mm -hmm. extend on letting go of control and what yeah that means? yeah so i mean we we had um you know always thought Hey, this is this is a business that you start and you like start a business together and then you mm -hmm. own it. And um, what what we realized was that this is an idea that is really um, opening up a membership experience and and a um, community uh, collaborative space to a different population <laughs> of the city than had traditionally been invited. And and so uh, to do that, it might be more interesting to work on the innovation of how you invite people in and what those experiences that build relationship might be then it would be around um, getting yourself up to speed on the infrastructure and bricks and mortar and capital that it takes to host the space and so we partnered with um, Alexandria Real Estate, who's our landlord here, and, and Club Corp, who's, uh, who owns the business. And, and we said, hey, we've got this place that we think needs relationship building, and we, we believe we have the model that, that can be successful. But, um, you know, we want to see this opportunity, you know, be, be opened up and, and happen rather than um, say, you know, so we're going to raise all the money ourselves and try to, you know, stay on top. It, right. it, it, it wasn't going to happen that way. So we needed to, you know, get creative release. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I think that, I mean, the, the thing that I really w want to get back to is that 
it is about an invitation that you intentionally reach out to and invite people that haven't traditionally been invited to say, hey, this is your space. How would you like to shape it and play? Um, because that, I think, is the magic of, of the collective and that we have uh, this incredible diversity of voices in um, shape, shaping the experience and building relationships with each other. I really want to be that creative crossroads within the city more so than um, you know any sort of level of achievement or exclusivity. I want this to be a place where you you meet someone that you didn't expect to meet, but you find you know those things you have in common with them. Right. Okay. Questions, Elaine. You have a question. So the question is the can you talk about the interplay between passion for entrepreneurship versus passion for owning and operating a business? Or, or running your passion as a business, okay. I think for me that I, <laughs> I'm a, just like a, a raging extrovert. So I like gain energy by being with people. Uh, and, and so I think what is of huge value to me is recognizing that if work can be super social then yes it 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 it's still work <laughs> definitely but i am feeding that um part of me that then um like i, I i've i've accomplished something throughout the day even if it's just being with people and chatting and, and connecting and interacting and inviting people in and facilitating experiences um that that that's like that's a that's an amazing day for me and that is like that is my job so i i love that um the part of me that <laughs> um i can fall out of balance with is that need to reset is what my wife is like super in tune with and so you know we live uh, a ferry ride away from the city and so when i get on that boat um i get to let go of uh, the social side and I get to like go to basically like a cabin in the woods and uh, you know it's closer to get to the Olympics than it is to get to the airport and you know it's like I get to that get that kind of escape and that release and the solitude that um, you know that I know I need but I don't actually get during the week um, and so I mean all the numbers side and the like grind and the like frustrations and the management is is, is still there um i think i had a lot of experience doing that part when i ran i mean i helped run agua verde uh for five years and i mean that's a business that has a lot of moving parts and and you know it's a seasonal business so there's a lot of hiring and 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 transitions and that um like that's that's like i, I was comfortable with that level so it's just like amazing that it's also kind of like this idea that I've been dreaming that I get to have be the center of that part of the work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, you know, what I recognize in those years when I was working with my, my classmates on, on the other businesses is that the structures of those businesses were not filling that um, need for social in my day in day out. Uh, and so, that that was the risk for me is is finding myself 
isolated at work and then being like, oh, wait, now I have to go find social, but I, you know, I'm exhausted. So now I, I'm like, oh, at the end of the day, I'm exhausted, but that's a good time to go relax. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, what processes uh, fueled your negotiation process, your insight in working with Club Corp and Alexandria? Alexandria. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, twofold. One, um, Tommy Trouse, uh, who's you know, one of my best friends from first grade, uh, his first job after college was working uh, at Club Corp. And he started uh, you know, kind of bottom up, worked his way all the way up through that organization to be, you know, in charge of um, a region of, of clubs and working on reinvention and, and um, transitioning more traditional club structures to more relevant um, club structures. So, uh, you know, the familiarity with, I think, the, the company Club Corp was something that was kind of deeply part of our, our team. Um, his, his perspective on it was that, um, you know, you you need to be designing um, from the beginning for the audience that you're going to serve, and and so you know to decide you're going to serve an innovation district with a super diverse population that comes from all over the world. Um, me in a landscape where most people are more likely to wear a backpack and headphones than a jacket. Um, you know, we had to kind of decide that we were going to design. In that, from the beginning, and and so um, I think what what we recognized was that was not what um, was the traditional place that that Club Corp had been focused. So we were they were actually a perfect partner for us because um, you know the the kitchen, the um, you know the structure, the like the P and L statement uh, of uh, the two businesses are very similar, right? You you're basically going to collect um, you know dues from members that value being a part of it and you're going to sell food and drink and host events and so to some degree you're like yeah this is a similar business but it's it's uh, starting from a different place and with a different focus and so um, that that's why they were the perfect partner for us. Um, Alexander Real Estate is just I mean I couldn't be more impressed with their willingness to um, take a risk uh, with us and, and their um, insistence that we you know don't back away from going you know going big uh you know the the team here at alexandria um from the very beginning they were like hey you know if you're going to if you're going to operate this business here you know you need to take the whole ground floor we want this to be a comprehensive experience you know no no kind of like incrementally building like you got to go for it and we're going to help you get there um, you know, we, we believe in you. We, we think that uh, we can work on this together. And we had um, certainly had a few other conversations with people that, um, you know, kind of wanted to be there with us on that level, but um, not anyone else that was in the position to follow through in the way that they did, um, both in, I think, you know, I mean, they, their offices are right above ours. They're down for lunch almost, you know, every other day. We, we have deep relationships with that team now that I think um, is reflective. They knew what they wanted, which was, hey, I want a, an incredible place to be for work, but also for the rest of the, kind of the social landscape. And so they were a partner that I think recognized that in our offering in, in a way that n no one else was. And so it was an easy invitation to accept. Yeah. 
Great question. Yes. Yeah, so the the question. Um, so what does community mean to Alex? How do you cultivate that community? And I miss the, the, the how do you promote? How do you? Okay. Yeah. How do you articulate community in your in your message? Yeah. So I think of community as. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of tangible things like it involves people that see each other and talk to each other, and you know those are like base level things. But what would separate a community from a group um, or from a class um, would be, I, I think, one your ability to take risk and be yourself within that community and stay in that community, uh, and then I'm I'm really, I I I think that your uh, your position within the community, your ability to be a part of the community should not be tied to achievement. And, and what I mean by that is there are communities that are called communities that are about um, status that you can lose or you can not have. Um, and so those might not be true communities and that you could still be yourself and still be the true essence of, of how you want to be in the world and you could like lose that thing that was bringing you that status. It might have been a job, it might have been wealth, um, it might have been your age, uh, it might have been the particular class that you were taking. Um, but those are, those are things that are, you know, transitive. I mean, they, they can go away. And so community is something that like you as a person can stay a part of regardless of what happens to you or happens in your life. And I think that that means, um, you know, how do we build, how do we build that here? Um, we have, we have to be really intentional about, um, reaching out and inviting people from where they are to be themselves and exploring whether they find a place and, and connection here. So it's not that, um, you can sell this place on the climbing wall or on the price of a happy hour beverage or on you know the design aesthetic of a specific chair or carpet though those are all things that I think are really fun here um, that's not like those those things will go away right I mean uh, you could join to be a client to use the climbing gym and then you could you know sprain your wrist and so would you unjoin not if you have relationships here that you can be yourself and, and continue on and so I think I think of it as um, you know you market that by way of one showing up every day and living it and then two really having that be embedded in the invitation to the, the experience and I, I, so I think of marketing as more um, you know that invitation than it is about a sale you know if, if you will did I cover all three I feel like okay I think you did uh, any more questions thank you thank you <laughs> uh, okay so one last question that I have for you is um, so the three of you met in first grade. It was you, Tommy, and Scott. Scott, and you were all basketball players. Yes. So who is the best basketball player among the three? Oh. What's the rank? 
One, two, three. Uh, Scott is like seven to eight times better at basketball than Tommy or I. Okay. <laughs> um, luckily, uh, we enjoy skiing where the mm. uh, playing field is much more balanced. Gotcha. And, uh, and then, you know, we, we, we pull Scott out rock climbing where he's less comfortable. And then he pulls us into things like ping pong where I'm miserable and they're pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have, we have it's all different activities that we find to make sure to, we're better than yeah. them at something. Yeah. yeah but yeah. It, it's a, it's still a pretty competitive relationship. Uh, what we all did this last weekend together, which was actually just pretty, pretty rewarding days. We started, I started building a house and we started, we, we got to like start clearing the land together. And uh, it's funny to be sitting in business meetings together and then the next day be like, okay, now we're all going to go like try to not have a tree fall on us. <laughs> and none of us are good at this. So, you know, let's go on this new adventure together. Yeah, there's some urban legends that float around about Alex. Uh, I don't even, they're probably not even urban legends. I had asked a, a couple of folks who work here like, all right, what, are there any zingers that you want me to drop into this conversation? And it wasn't a zinger, but <laughs> there is, uh, apparently you kayaked for 22 miles on Sunday. Oh, is that, that's, yeah. your, that's what you just did for fun? Decided um, to kayak around. Yeah. So, so Tommy and I were, um, on like a mountain biking, rock climbing trip in Leavenworth. And then he, he had to, um, head to a family, um, family emergency and, 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 and be with, be with his family. And so I found myself, um, back at home on Bainbridge. Uh, my wife, Christina was on a backpacking trip on her own. And so I'm like, I'm home alone on a Sunday. I thought I was going to be getting after it. What am I going to do? And I looked at the tide charts. I looked at the winds. I looked at, and I was like, I'm going to throw a bunch of water and, you know, some leftover pizza in, in this kayak and head with the tide at six in the morning and just see how this thing plays out. <laughs> so nine and a half hours later, uh, I got back, wow. uh, to my, to, to the beach near our house where I'd launched the kayak from. And, uh, and yeah, I paddled around the Island. It's about 20, 22 miles. Uh, I would love to do it again. I would highly suggest it. I would definitely watch the tides and, um, bring sunscreen. And, uh, it was awesome. It was, it was a beautiful way to experience that place that I'd been living in for a long time, but never in that way. So that's Ikigai right there. <laughs> that's Ikigai. That's a perfect close. Well, so thank you, Alex. If everyone can please uh, give Alex a round of applause <laughs> and, uh, appreciate it. Thank, thank you, Sam. Thank you yeah. very much. All right.